If you have been around Chapel Street or the Mill Creek campus for for really, I think, very long at all, like as long as, um, like, however long it was that I was doing announcements a few minutes ago, <laughs> you will um, know that one of the values, one of the things that we talk a lot about, that we, I think, invest a lot of time and energy in is, is community. It's the experience of community within the body of Christ. I'm convinced that it's critical to fulfilling our mission. I'm convinced that scripture gives us a mandate for it. We're going to talk more about that this morning. And, and I'm convinced that it is um, ultimately for the glory of God. And, and so we do things like connection lunches and um, even something as simple as like our children's ministry will do what they call pre- preschool playdates. And Libby will show up in the park with a wagon full of snacks and juice and just a bunch of moms from Chapel Street and just moms from the community there with their kids being together and again like as i mentioned with these connection dinners like we've seen so much fruit born of of out of community and and so sometimes and maybe you can relate to this we start to build kind of a vision of what christian community is supposed to look like what is it in this context what is this supposed to look like and sometimes our idea of community becomes um idealized right we, we start to have this we form a shape of it that looks really neat and clean and so if you think about like norman rockwell's thanksgiving dinner picture right this is kind of our our version of what christian community looks like we all have like we're all dressed to the nines and grandma's there and and laying the turkey on the table and everybody's being sweet and this is what the experience is supposed to look like does anybody know by the way the name of this painting called freedom from want i didn't know that until i was doing research for this sermon however the reality of community can sometimes look far different right Um, in fact there's a second picture that i have that i think might more accurately depict the true experience of christian community because christian community in its in its real state it's messy Right? It, it evolves, involves our brokenness, and oftentimes it looks something like a dysfunctional family sitting around a table together. Today we're going to continue to look, to talk about, and to think about what it means to live according to the way of Jesus. And I want us to think about and consider this description and Jesus's call towards genuine Christian community. The type of community I believe that pushes past idealistic caricatures and arrives at authentic, genuine, transformative, albeit messy community. And this community, according to Jesus, is to be marked by love. That is, is to be the, the primary uh, indicator of this community is to be love. It's love for God, yes, absolutely, but it's also love for each other. This vision of community that's defined by love that we see talked about in the Gospels, that we see being lived out in the book of Acts, if you were here a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about reminding ourselves of the neighborhood church vision, right? we went back 
We looked at Acts chapter 2. We saw this incredible example of the body of Christ in the very early stages who had committed themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer, to the breaking of bread, and they were serving their community. There was no one in need. A bunch of people sold their possessions to share with their... It was just beautiful, right? We see this compelling vision of community, but it stands in stark contrast to what social scientists call in our current reality, uh, reality the acadi- uh, epidemic of loneliness. The epidemic of loneliness. A study conducted by the Harvard Graduate School of Education that was released in February of 2021 finds that 36% of all Americans, so over one-third of us, including, it says, 61% of young adults, so nearly two-thirds, and 51% of mothers with young children identify themselves as feeling, quote-unquote, seriously lonely. This report goes on to explore what it calls the steep cost of loneliness, including early mortality, a wide array of serious physical and emotional problems, including depression, anxiety, heart disease, substance abuse, and domestic abuse. So it's, it's saying it's pervasive in our culture. And so at a point in time in history when technology has promised to make us more connected than at any other time, we are more lonely, particularly in the Western culture, than we have ever been in history. Apparently, the the carefully curated uh, stream of social media posts and subsequent likes that follow are a poor substitute for genuine relationships that are marked by presence and proximity that enable us to know and be known. Tapping a heart button next to someone's picture is apparently a poor substitute for sitting across a table from somebody and hearing the words, I love you. And perhaps I think what might be most compelling in all of this when we think about the vision and the stark contrast that we see in the world around us It's that this vision of community that Jesus defines as as being a community of love that he calls us to within the body of Christ, within this circle, he says it's this, this is the very thing, according to Jesus, that, that the world is going to look at and it's going to be a dead giveaway that we are his disciples. This is how he's going to, He says, this is how the world is going to know that you follow the way of Jesus because we love each other. Because we show up for each other. Because we are in genuine community with each other. And so I'm going to continue on in the book of John. We've been hanging out here for a couple weeks now. And I've mentioned this each time, but this is, again, I just find it compelling. Because anytime you're looking at at somebody, Jesus is, is about to go to the cross. This is the last sort of teaching with the disciples so like anybody you're motivated right you gotta you gotta hear me say these things and so um jesus in a couple a couple points here he really emphasizes this first in john chapter 13 um jesus has just washed his disciples feet he's announced that he's going to be betrayed by one of his own disciples judas gets up to go do this and this is what he says in verse 33 He said, children, I am with you a little while longer, 
you'll look for me and just as i told the jews so i now tell you where i am going you cannot come so again he's setting the stage for what he wants them to hear here verse 34 i give you a new command love one another just as i have loved you you are also to love one another by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another now flip over to chapter 15 we're going to pick up where we left off last week. In fact, I'm going to overlap a little bit. This is John chapter 15, beginning in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore, because a servant does not know what his master is doing. I've called you friends, because I've made known to you everything I've heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and to produce fruit, and that your fruit should remain. So whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command to you, love one another. I want to take just a, a couple moments this morning to reflect on Jesus' words and these visions and this description of a community defined by love. And at the risk of sounding obvious, the first thing that I think we need to highlight here is that Jesus gives us a command. He gives us a command. John 13, 34, I, I give you a new command, love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. John 15, 12, this is my command, love one another as I have loved you. John 15, 17, this is what I command you, love one another. Right? It's, it's as if Jesus is trying to tell us something here. I don't know if you've ever, like when you make like major purchases these days, almost inevitably, they'll, when you're checking out, you're finalizing the paperwork, whatever, you'll be offered some kind of extended warranty, right? Like they'll say, would you like to purchase the extended warranty? And you're like, well, tell me about that. And they're like, well, here's an 800 page pamphlet on the extended warranty. And particularly like if you're buying a car or something like that, and, and you're kind of weighing this and there's no possible way to look at everything in there. So you're just sort of willy-nilly signing off on stuff. But you have this deep-seated sense inside of you, right, that the car company or whoever it is, that they have given them a, a, a way out, right? There's some sort of exception clause. There's something in there that when you go to fulfill this warranty, that in the fine print, you're not going to receive what it ultimately is that they're promising, right? And I think sometimes when I approach something like this, like, my mind starts to go towards the exception clauses. Like, what are, what are the ways out? What are the ways around this? But here's the thing, guys. I've read the fine print. Jesus did not leave us a way out. Not that I can find. There is no escape clause. There is no precondition to any of this. And I'm not, I'm not just trying to pound on the obvious here or to treat you like you're... You, can't understand this what I'm recognizing is I know my own tendencies to create the exceptions right for people who really get on my nerves right 
None of you are here. <laughs> or somebody that's really offended me. Or somebody who's really done something or said something that really genuinely hurt. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to say, I'll be cordial. I, I will be polite when they're present. But love them? Yeah, that's a lot to ask. But Jesus does not even leave room for interpretational gymnastics here that enable us to avoid what he's clearly telling us. Love one another. Right? If we are going to walk in the way of Jesus, if we are going to be serious about this, I, I see no other way around this. And what does it mean to love somebody? Right? Love is not a feeling or emotion. We can feel lovingly towards someone, or we can have an emotion that we define as love, but that's, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Right? Love that's going to be modeled by Jesus, love is a determined desire and action for the good of the other person. A determined desire or action for the good of the other person. And Jesus leaves us no room around this one. You don't have to like me. But you do have to love me. And I have to love you as well. It's a command. It's also, secondly, we see that it's a reflection. It's a reflection. Jesus says in, in 13 verse 34, Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. But it extends beyond that. Look in 15.9. He says, as the Father has loved me, there's, there's a precedent for this. I have also loved you. Just yesterday, I had the opportunity for one of our, our Mill Creek families here to uh, officiate a wedding. Um, it was beautiful. A couple I had done premarital counseling with and really gotten to know them and enjoy them. And so it's like, it's one of those weddings where you're invested in the people and, and it feels very relational and it was a lot of fun to be a part of it. And without fail at, at a wedding, if you've ever heard me do one, one of the things I realized somewhere along the pastoral path was that when a couple is standing on stage in their wedding, that they don't remember anything that you say. Like, um, like worse than right now. Like, you know, like some of you are taking notes and you might have to take away something. Like they got, there's nothing, right? I know that because I was trying to think about what my pastor said at, at my wedding and I got, I got nothing, right? And I even had recently, I was, I was making this comment in a wedding ceremony and the bride looked at me and goes, I know I'm not listening. Like, <laughs> she, like in the actual ceremony, I was like, I appreciate your honesty. Um, so my goal, my objective in, in the wedding homily is like, if I can get one thing across, right, it's only to just point them to Jesus. If we're going to think about what does it mean to live as a husband and a wife, how, how does it lo look to love this person across from me? If I can just, if you can just remember the name Jesus, I'm going to count that as a win in the midst of this. And one of the things that I always tell them because this is, let's be honest, this is a towering standard of love. I say, you've got to understand that this love that you're proclaiming to each other, that you're vowing to each other, right? This is not just a standard that has been imposed on you. It's a standard that's been poured out to you. You have been the recipients of this love. So therefore, love each other. There are a couple points of emphasis that I want to I quickly make here. 
First, I think in this text, we, we begin to discover and understand that you are made, I am made for community. I'm made for community. When Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, there's, we're not going to do a deep dive into the nature of the Trinity here this morning, but I do think it's important to understand that communal relational love has existed in the person of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit for all eternity. And then in addition to that, you and I have been created in his image, right? Genesis 1. So God created man in his own image. He created in, in the image of God. He created the male and female. In other words, you and I were created for relationship. In fact, in the whole creation narrative, there's only one thing that was called not good. What was it? Loneliness. It was loneliness. God sees that Adam doesn't have somebody in his kind like him. And he says, it's not good that man should be alone. Timothy Keller noted that loneliness is the one problem that we experience that rises out of our perfection or out of our design rather than out of our sin. I found that interesting. I'm still thinking about it. Secondly, you're created for community. You're also, you are also the benefactor of this love. You're the benefactor of it. Jesus, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. There was a preceding event, right? Jesus has first loved us. In fact, John will say those very words in his first epistle, his first letter to the church. He's going to say, we love in John chapter, in 1 John chapter 4, we love because he first loved us. What Jesus commands is only possible because we are the recipients of his love. We're the benefactors. This is critical to our understanding of, of the command, right? Because it answers the question of why and how. We love because we have been loved. Right? Our, our, our ability, our capacity to love, right? the, the greater our awareness, the greater our understanding, and the greater our gratitude for God's love for us, the greater our capacity to love others. And then there's the how. How do we do this? Right? Love is embodied in Jesus. He, in other words, he has showed us the way, and I'm not trying to, hear me on this, I'm not trying to oversimplify this, and I understand in real, like that's the messiness of the table, right? In real relationships, when we're sitting around doing life together, it's not always easy and clear to understand what this looks like and how do we do it well, but we do have to return to the model set to us by Jesus and defined by Jesus. He loved us, and he taught us how to love. So it's a reflection of his love. Think about, and I read this in the, in the wedding yesterday. In fact, this is probably, I would put this as perhaps the most common passage that, that I read when we're together. Philippians chapter 2. <clears throat> you guys know I'm going to go there, right? Someday at my funeral, somebody's going to stand up and say, he made sure we knew Philippians chapter 2. At least I hope, okay? Somebody just write that down for me. So that we have that covered. Philippians 2. If then there is any encouragement in Christ... If any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, 
make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as important or more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for their own interests, but also for the interest of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus has given us the example. He showed us what it looks like. We've been the benefactors of it, but he is also the model of it. This is why, by the way, I think Jesus is constantly drawing this correlation between love and obedience. But he is the way of love, and so we love when we obey him. John Burge, in his commentary on, on the Gospel of John, says, Without a prior, life-consuming experience of God's love for us, we will be singularly ill-equipped to love anyone else. I think that's true. Thirdly, we see that this, this vision of community, this vision of a community defined by love, it's a mission. Did you notice in, in John 13, 34, Jesus says, I give you a new command. Did that strike anybody as odd? Like, were we not previously commanded to love each other? He elaborates a, a, a bit more on this in chapter 15. He says this in uh, verse 13. He says, No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. Again, Jesus is setting the tone for what's about to happen. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore, because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I call you friends, because I've made known to you everything I have heard from my father. Jesus says, I call you friends. He says, there's this new command. I'm, I'm no longer calling you servants. I'm calling you friends. There's this clear transition that Jesus is, is taking place here. And again, remember the context. Jesus has just shared the last supper with his disciples. He, he has served them the Passover meal. He gave them the cup, the promise of Passover. And as he hands them the cup, he says, this cup is my blood. It's the blood of a new covenant and then he takes on the position of a servant he, he he kneels down and he begins to wash their feet which again culturally this would have been the responsibility of the person in the room who was considered kind of the lowest among them jesus willingly takes that on and then after he does it he says in, in john 13 he says so if i your lord and master have washed your feet so you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done for you. 
Jesus calls us his disciples, his apprentices. He calls us friends because we have been shown, we've been taught the heart of the Father. He's made it known to us. So the the obedience that he's been talking about here, right? it's, it's an informed obedience. We've been let into the great redemptive work of God. In fact, not only have you been let into it, you have been left with it. He calls us friends. He's saying, now, now that you know, right now that you've been let into this kingdom that I am ushering in, what are we to do? Love one another. This is what I command to you. Love one another. And I know when we you know, break a passage up and, and preach some of it last week and, and, and then the rest this week, right? The idea of what we were talking about last week with abiding, remaining, that can feel so separated from what we're talking about here. But we got to remember this is, this is one cohesive teaching from Jesus. This new command to love one another, this work that Jesus left us with, this is the fruit. It's born out of abiding in him. This is what empowers it and informs it. We remain in his love so that we are able to love one another. It's not, it's not just the product of our own strength or a willingness to kind of endure. It, it, it's the outflowing of abiding in him. And then fourthly, we see that this vision that Jesus lays out, this is, it's a witness. Verse 35 of chapter 13. This stuck out to me this week. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Right? This is how the world is going to know that we follow Jesus that we love each other. Which I would think, it would make sense in my mind, right, to say the world is going to know that you love them, that that you follow Jesus because you love them. But that's not what it says. And again, Jesus clearly tells us to love our neighbors, to love the people around us. He says, they're going to know that you follow the way of Jesus, that you're my disciples because we love each other. The community defined, marked by love, that we see developed here in this text, this is our witness. It's the evidence that that we are followers of Jesus. Pastor Brian recently had the opportunity to travel to Nepal, and he was there with an organization called the the Timothy Initiative. It's a church planning organization organization that, that builds basically house churches and oftentimes very difficult environments. It's illegal in, the, in Nepal to, um, you can be a Christian, but you cannot try to convince anybody else that they should be a Christian. But the church is growing there in like, you know, unimaginable ways. Like it's, it's really a movement of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so Brian was in this, this church, this house church, and people are gathered together and he gets into a conversation with one of the worship leaders there and she begins to share a little bit of of her story. And she said, I was invited by a a friend to come to church, which was illegal to do, but just out of sort of like curiosity, I I went with them, which was a three-mile walk to church. They get up, they walk to church, and she said, I'd never seen anything like what I saw there. 
And so the next week I came back because I, want, I wanted to see more. Like these people, they, they were different. And, and the way they treated each other, the way they talked to each other, just the happiness. So it's like, I'm going to come back and see this again. She did that for a year, three miles there and back, three miles there, three miles back, because the, the community that she was witnessing was so compelling to her that even though she didn't understand at the time what informed it, why, why they were this way, she had to see more of it. This is this vision, and was that ultimately that led her to understand the gospel. I've been thinking, I've been praying for us as a church about how do we how do we grow in our effectiveness of reaching our community? How, how can we be more effective with our neighbors at, at sharing the good news of what Jesus has done for us? And I've thought about strategies and programs. In fact, this winter, we're going we're gonna to offer um, the Alpha course here on Saturday mornings. And um, I'm really excited about that. I've, I've been praying about it. I think it's going to be really great. I know some of you are already involved in that, and there'll be more coming out about that. I think it's going to be an incredible opportunity to help people answer questions that they have about who God is and how much he loves them. But I'm not sure there's any strategy or any program that can outpace our greatest witness. And that is how much that we love each other. Right? If we can, we can put on the, the best show, the, the, the best evangelistic program, but Jesus says, the world will know that you are my disciples, you are my followers by the way that you love each other. That's, that's what they're going to look at. That's what they're going to see and say, I want to I be a part of that. And so this morning, if I can leave you with something to think about and consider, is I, I want to ask you the question, where are you experiencing this? I, I hope and I pray every, every Sunday before we start services, I pray that you would, experience, you would taste it here in, in the church. And we don't do this perfectly. I 100% know that and understand that. But I would also contend that corporate worship, while super valuable, we see it modeled by Jesus, it is not, it's not what we've been talking about here. Because we're not going to, in the context of this service, share our lives personally. I mean, there could be a really good taste of that. But I'm talking about group life where you are known, where there's people who are around you who can enter into the messiness, right? If you can put up that Simpsons picture again, Noah, for me. My mom's coming to the second service and I could literally get grounded for having this in church. <laughs> um. I'm wondering where you experience this. I, this. This was working out better in my head 30 seconds ago. But where do you experience the messiness of community? Because I think, and I get it, like look, sometimes you've experienced it and it hurt. And then you say, I don't want to do that again. Sometimes you, you had it. And for whatever reason, people have moved, people have gone different direction, and it's dissolved, and you're like, am I going to make the emotional investment to discover this again? But if, if we are to take the words of Jesus seriously about, about what the church is and what it means to walk in his way, I think that we have to be a group of people deeply committed 
to community defined by love. And I most commonly experience that in, in the context of a group. And I know there's a thousand reasons why now is not the right time. What I'm asking you to think and pray about is what do you need to cut out? What do you need to move around? What do you need to stop doing in order to have that? Because I think it's worth it. And I think Jesus calls us to it. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be together, to be able to look in your word, Jesus. And I am so grateful. I'm so grateful to be a part of this community. Jesus, would you increase our love for each other? Lord, forgive me when I have carved out exceptions, when I've created reasons why somebody is, is, does not require love from me, Jesus, would you forgive me for that? Here and now in this room, Jesus, would you expand our understanding of your love for us and what it means to be the body of Christ, committed to loving each other, that the world may look and see and know that we are your disciples. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. I want to read from John chapter 17 um, as our benediction this morning. Again, this is all in the same context of what Jesus has been saying to his disciples. Uh, by the way, if we can pray with you, um, it's always an, uh, that's, a, that's a community thing. Um, we do that because we love each other and we can, and so we're here for that. Um, if you came prepared to give today, our generosity boxes are, are by the side doors, but I want to, I want to leave you with Jesus, um, prayer for, for his disciples. This is in John chapter 17. He says this, he says, may they all be one as you father are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory that you have given me so that they may be as one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Amen.